The funny thing about being from Brooklyn and working for an oil company in Texas is that if you're a woman, it doesn't necessarily matter if you can change your voice because what you really need to change are the perceptions of your employers and your colleagues. This is my conversation with Lorraine Ball. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Repman. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. All right, everybody, what I want to do today is talk a little bit about uh, faith in marketing, believing in marketing, believing in our brands and ourselves, and can we really successfully sell them to the world because there's so much about the world that we don't trust anymore. There's so much we don't believe. And so to help me explore this, I have an expert um, who I'm bringing on today, and we're very lucky to have her. Her name is Lorraine Ball. She's a marketing strategist. She's a marketing educator. She hosts the More Than a Few Words podcast, which I've really enjoyed. And uh, and so please welcome Lorraine to the show. Uh, Lorraine, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. I'll start with the question, are there answers in, uh, in today's world with... Um, social media and influencers and skewed perceptions, you know, mm-hmm. does anyone trust anything? What, what do people believe in, in your experience today? Okay, so you have like 12 questions inside of that one question. I'm going to get to answer some of <laughs> yeah, them, okay? Yeah. So the first thing is... I'll take your first six questions. I'll take your first six <laughs> questions, and we'll, we'll see how much time we have. But no, but I think the first thing is that... What people have become suspicious of is the overly polished, overly perfect. What people seem to be responding to more and more is the more authentic, the more genuine. I mean, I think about like early in my corporate days, you know, we would do a video and oh my God, it would never look like, like, you know, what it looks like today. It'd be properly lit. I'd have three people doing makeup and blah, 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 blah. And now people flip up their phone. They start shooting. They shoot in their car, they're shooting on a noisy street, and nobody cares because the message is very genuine, very real, very relatable. And so I think that's probably the single biggest lesson of where we are right now is if you are putting content out there, if you want to connect with your audience... I thought I had to reduce the stuffy 20 years ago when I left corporate and started my own business. I got to dial the stuffy way down even more now to continue to be relevant for audiences because they just want to see who you really are. And so that's the first thing. You also said something about influencers, and I'm going to quote a friend of mine, Jason Falls, who's got a great book on this subject called Influence Marketing. And I think his point, and I totally agree with him, is what companies get wrong is they think it's influencer marketing with the R. They think it's about the celebrity or the person. 
It's not. It is about the action. It is about what you want people to do. What do you want to influence them to do? And when you look at it from a business perspective, from a marketing perspective, what is it that I want from this prospective customer? Who are they? Where are they? What can I say that will influence them? Who are they going to listen to? And uh, sometimes it might be a celebrity, but sometimes it might have nothing to do with social media. Maybe you want to sell a new training program to be used in after-school programs approved by PTAs. Well, the influencer may be the mom who's the head of the PTA. It may be the teacher who is the representative to this community. And so how do you get to that influencer, that very real, very genuine, very authentic person who has influence within your market? Which leads me to the one thing that hasn't changed um, since before I was born when it comes to marketing. The tools have changed. Everybody's got new whiz-bang gizmos. There are new platforms. There's all this new stuff. But at the end of the day, it all boils down to who is your customer, what do they want, what keeps them up at night, what can you do for them, and what makes you uniquely qualified to do that. And that's been true as long as I've been doing marketing and probably long before that, and I think it's always going to be true. And when you keep that in mind, what you create is authentic. It is genuine. It is very approachable and it breaks through. That's a great answer. Great answers. Speaking of the, the things that haven't changed, mm-hmm. tell tell me a little bit about uh, where you came from, what your what your uh, you know your life was like that kind of led you to you know into this field into marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, people people end up doing things in business for all kinds of reasons. Uh, rarely is it somebody wakes up at or at seven years old says, "I want to be in marketing. I think I could do really good job in that field." What are you? What are your earliest kind of memories of of how this all began? So. Um you're right. I did not I did not wake up at 7 years old and go, "Mommy, I'm going to be a marketer." Yeah, no. Uh actually, I I like to think of myself that I have reinvented myself about every 20 or so years. And so for the first 20, I was going to be a teacher. I came from a family of teachers and social workers and I liked kids and I have a degree in elementary education. And I taught for a year and discovered that I like children, I like teaching, but I don't like being a teacher. Um, and I, I enjoy, like I, I still tutor one of my friend's sons is, is, needs a little help in pre-algebra, and they, you know we sit there for an hour a day and, or an hour every couple of days and we talk about Star Wars and we talk about Marvel Comics and we talk about fractions. And I love that. But the whole, all day long, in a room full of children, all the bureaucracy, all the paperwork, it just, no. So then I shifted and I thought, well, maybe I'll do kind of like business. I, um, I did retail. I did oil field supply. I went back to grad school. And I went down this path 
I went back to grad school thinking I was going to get a degree in um, computer programming. And my first computer programming class, my instructor said to me, um, well, he made a deal with me. He would give me a B if I agreed never to take another course in his department. I took the deal. <laughs> yeah. So then I thought, okay, I'll, I'll be an accountant. I'm good in math. I'm good in numbers. I started taking accounting courses in my, in my master's program. And my uh, accounting professor sat down with me and she said, here's the deal. You can do this. I mean, you're acing it. No problem. You're going to hate your life. And I'm like, really? Could we have had this conversation in accounting one? I, by, by now, I was like nine or ten credits into accounting. And she said, yeah. So she said, I felt like, okay, well, if I don't do accounting, what do I do? And she says, I think you'd be good in marketing. To which I replied, marketing? That's nonsense. There's no science underneath that. People just make that stuff up. So she must have talked to my marketing professor. I was required to take one marketing course, and my marketing professor said the same thing to me. She said, you know, I know you're majoring in accounting, but you think like a marketer. I couldn't very well insult someone who had a Ph.D. in marketing and tell them I thought their entire life's work was fluff, because that would be rude. (laughs) So instead, I simply said, um, well, it isn't really quantitative enough for me. And she said, oh, no, that's where you're wrong. She said, good marketing is all about the numbers. Because if you do marketing and you don't pay attention to the numbers, you get award-winning advertising that doesn't sell product. And that was the light bulb moment for me. That was when I went, oh, okay. So went on. I love marketing. Did the whole corporate thing. Worked my way up the corporate ladder. Had a couple of glass ceilings along the way. And got to that moment where I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't really want to do this anymore. Um, And so I walked away and started my own business, which was going to be not a marketing company, because as much as I loved marketing, what I really was intrigued with was this idea of building high-performance teams, because that's that was that reinvention, I thought. Um, and I'd been really good at it. I'd been very, I mean, in corporate, that was what I was known for is, oh, there's a broken department. Give Lorraine the Island of Misfit Toys. She'll figure it out. And um, unfortunately, that was at a point in the economy and the world where, where there were more jobs than people and companies didn't really care. And the idea of building high performance teams, there was another person lined up right around the corner to take the job if this one didn't like it. So while I was waiting for that, People kept coming to me going, hey, Lorraine, I know you know marketing. Can you help me with this? Yeah, I'll do that while I'm, I'm working on this other project. And I woke up one day and I went, I have a marketing company. And uh, I took the list of all my corporate clients and all my prospects. And I called up a friend of mine who had a business just like mine. And I said, do you want these? And uh, I gave them to her. And uh, it was burning the boats because there was no going back. There was no waking up the next day going, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And so now I was committed to this marketing thing, and I did that and sold the company 18 months ago. And so now I podcast and kind of full circle. I'm back doing online training. So teacher again. 
Yeah, and that's interesting with the, with 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 teaching. I mean, my daughter's a teacher. My my sister uh, was a teacher for a long time, mm-hmm. and it is it is just. I mean, we all say it all the time. You know that that teachers don't get enough credit, but it is extremely difficult. I mean, mm-hmm. right now, in the in the wake of the pandemic and all of that, I think uh, younger kids. My my daughter teaches uh, second, third, and fourth grade age and you know is seeing a lot of kind of trauma you know a lot of Mm -hmm. PTSD Mm -hmm. and uh, you know and that that goes to my next question which is which is that we've all been traumatized by the last couple of years Um, in your view how you know because people we're we're told to be authentic we're told to be ourselves we're told to, to share um, mental health is a, is a is is an issue that never gets enough attention until it's too late. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're advising on an entrepreneur, or you're or you're trying to set up teams, and people are sharing uh, or want to share their emotional challenges and this and this this state that they find themselves in, how honest can you be with your your consumer, let's say, or your or your team? I think that you have to find people you can be honest with, but I don't know that you can be honest with everybody. Um, in, other, in other words, I think, and I think that there's a difference between authenticity and running around naked. Okay? Authentic, okay, if, yeah. you ask, okay, if you ask me a question about X, Y, or Z, I'm going to give you a direct answer. But that does not mean that I have to tell you everything else that's going on in my life that may be indirectly connected. I think that um, uh, you have to have those people in your life, whether it is a close friend or a professional, that can listen to you unload everything. I, I, I think that's really important. I think having... I think isolation is probably one of the most dangerous things that came out of the pandemic. And not finding ways to break that isolation has done a tremendous amount of damage to people. And and I've seen some of that firsthand with some people that are very close to me. Um, So I think you have to have that, um, that group of people that you are completely honest with. But then you have to ask yourself, as a a business owner, as a manager, as a team leader, what do I want the relationship with these people to be? Does completely unburdening myself enhance the relationship or make it, you know, awkward? You know, you see those people on Facebook that share everything that happens to them, and you're like, why? You know, I I mean, who are you really doing that for? What You know, um, I know that um, I had a very tight team and we knew a lot about what was going on in each other's lives. But there were just days that there was stuff going on at home and I might walk into the office and say, I'm in a crappy mood. It has nothing to do with you guys. I don't really want to talk about it, but I'm in a crappy mood. So give me some space. And that was the extent of what I wanted to share. 
And what that meant was everybody managed the conversations with me that day until I said, you know what, I'm having a great day, let me, you know, we're good. Um, I think it's important to be honest about that if, if there's something going on, but I don't think you have to completely go, I'm having a crappy day because I had this fight with my husband. No, I didn't sign up for that. Neither did they. Right. That's a great point. Um, and the idea that, you know, you can share with, with, you should be able to share it with someone. Mm-hmm. You can't share it with everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I think the question even arises because of this hyper-communicative world mm-hmm. we live in and the, and the, the dichotomy between, uh, you know, the images we see on social media and the image, the, whatever that person's experience mm-hmm. really really is. It's my hope with, with marketing that, that these things that with, with, with people like you talking about this stuff and we'll talk about your podcast, um, I think there's always a chance that, that we can evolve this, uh, this industry a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, There are many things that stay the same, but I think there are many things that, that need to change and want to change. Um, and before you tell me about the, the podcast a little bit, tell me a little bit about the glass ceilings. You referenced <laughs> the glass ceilings that you hit along the way, and I, it's very timely. And I and I and I'm and I and I'm I think that's also something that entrepreneurs and and marketers alike should hear about. So, um, I. I spent a lot of time in what were male were male industries. I was in the uh, oil and gas industry and I was doing inside sales. And so customers would call up. Now, I had two things going, uh, working against me. Number one, I was a woman. I wasn't going to hide that. And I was a Yankee. Now, when I first left New York, I probably would give Fran Drescher a good run for her money. Like, like we, we were definitely <laughs> sisters from that part of the, you know, the, uh, the neighborhood. And I could not answer the telephone and talk like this because that was my first glass ceiling. The, the boys out in the oil field, they would not know this wasn't so. I didn't. Darling, I have never missed one of your order dates. So I'll tell you what. You send <laughs> me the paper and I'll send you the parts. But I couldn't hide the fact that I was a woman. And so they'd be like, well, can I talk to a salesman? And in that market, in that time, I couldn't say to them, well, I'm a salesperson. So we played this game. I'll tell you what, hon, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. You're going to, and, and I'll give it all to the salesman when we're done, but he's busy right now. And we'd go through this whole process. I would size the product. I'd quote them delivery. I'd give them a price. And then the last thing I would say is, well, now, darling, do I have to have a salesman call you back? <laughs> and of course, they'd be like, "Oh no, Lorraine, that'll be fine." We'll, we'll, and you know, and it took a while. So that first ceiling I could break, but then I wanted to do outside sales, and my boss flat out told me he was not going to send a woman into the oil field in West Texas. At which point, I applied for wow. graduate school because I, I saw no way around that. Um, and then when I went to corporate. And it was funny because I had been recruited by a firm that was looking to hire and bring in more women, bring in more people of color, 
diversify what had been traditionally a very white male organization. In the eight years I was there, I was paid very well, I was compensated very well, but I was never going to be vice president. And when I left the organization that had hired me and recruited me because I was a woman to be the first of a group of women they were bringing in, I was the first woman director, and when I left, there was still only one woman director in eight years. So there clearly was not going to be a woman VP. I mean, in that, and so that recognition that um, they weren't, that every time I'm like, well, okay, so what do I need to be, you know, if I want to be vice president of marketing, well, you should do a run through sales. Okay, well, there's a job open for a sales director. Why don't I do that job? Yeah, no, we're going to put somebody else in it. Well, what else do I need? Well, you really should work for a distributor. Okay, well, there's a distributor down in Louisville, and I could work for them for a couple of years. And yeah, no, with sell, no. And it was that here's here. They never said we weren't going to put a woman in that job, but they kept blocking every path. And so there's that moment where you're like, you know what? I'm tired of this. And um, they did finally, I understand. There finally was a woman VP, probably 20 years after I left. 20 years, which would then be almost 30 after they first said, we're going to diversify and add more women. Yeah, it is. It is amazing to, um, you know, when you've been in the in in a field for a while Mm -hmm. um, that literally decades have. Mm -hmm. There's been so much change, but literally there have been decades where there was so little, mm-hmm. not enough mm-hmm. change. Yeah. Um, uh, and now the, the the you know let's let's conclude with a little bit of um, insight into your podcast. <laughs> more than a few words. So I actually started more than a few words thirteen years ago. I'm kind of an OG when it comes to podcasting. Um, and the show has yeah. evolved a lot over over the years. We've tried I've tried different formats and stuff. But what I like about where it is now is it's short conversations with people and literally folks from all over the world. Um, I've had guests from Australia, I had a woman from Israel, Trinidad, um, a lot of people in London. So it's it's fun that I get to talk to other marketing pros and other business owners and compare notes both on on air and off. And then the other thing is that um, I'm actually racking up this really nice network of friends. Um, and we were up in, in Boston last fall, and I got to have breakfast with somebody who'd been a guest on the show. We'd never met in person, but we had such a good time. And so that's kind of like part of my mission now is I'm meeting all these great people. I want to, when I'm in a city, go, okay, who do I know here? And will they have coffee with me? I had a previous podcast, and I, I had a lot of people on that I already knew. Sometimes mm-hmm. I would do them in person. Sometimes I would do them remotely. Um, but now I find it's really interesting. I'm talking to more people that I don't know outside of you know outside of the interview and uh and it's fascinating to see where some of these things go uh you know where we talk about you know maybe doing projects together or or uh you know appearing on one another show in in our case i would love to have uh have an episode with you where we where we get more into your voices 
those, uh, <laughs> the, the original accent. Uh, yeah. The, the more uh, kind of Texas, the more yeah. southern accent that you use to, you know. Because um, I find that happened with, with me where I would, fa- I would fall in and out of, mm-hmm. of accents. But, but it would be like in, a, in person, it would, just, it would just happen. If I was talking mm-hmm. to someone with an English accent, I might just, just start talking to them in my version of their accent because it just with- happens. I just have an ear for it. Yeah, if you're, I think if you're high audio, you you get audio cues from other people, and you do you do respond. When I go home, if I go back to New York and I spend too much time there, and I come back, it's noticeably different. And also, when my kids were little and they would annoy me, I would channel my mother, <laughs> and it'd be like, Michelle, get over here, and you know, head would spin around. And they were like. Where did that voice come from? I talk to my kids a lot of times in the voice of my grandmother. Mm-hmm. I just my grandmother mm-hmm. was from New York, mm-hmm. and I'll do it sometimes. I think to because as a parent, you sometimes feel awkward talking to your kids about their lives. Like they like if you have teenagers, they don't they're not interested in what you think about their life, mm-hmm. and they don't really want to. So sometimes with my with my fourteen year old, I'll be like, "So how was school today? What happened in school?" You know, and and she's like, oh, you're doing like she's, he's doing the nanny voice. She doesn't call any attention to it, mm, but mm-mm. but she's like, I say, so nothing, no highlights, nothing good, no, uh, you know, nothing you want to share. But oh, so Brooklyn. <laughs> well, thank you, Lorraine. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, continued success with more than a few words and everything else you're doing, and. Uh, and I look forward to being in touch and possibly uh, working on our act together. So where we where we introduce where we have my my grandmother and your mother, uh, you know, giving advice. I think that would be fun. Oh, I think that would be just awesome. All right. Well, we'll we'll discuss it. You have a telephone. We'll, yeah, we'll talk yeah. on the telephone. We'll, we can talk. We'll. T- <laughs> We'll talk. We'll talk soon. Stop it. I'm, on the f- I'm talking to someone. <laughs> they, they never give you a break. No, no, no. There's always something looking for your time. <laughs> this has been so much fun. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.